for the next few months, um, we're going to be in a new teaching series since we've been in the book of Ephesians um, kind of last year. And, and today we marks the beginning of our new uh, teaching series, and we're calling it um, Becoming and Belonging, uh, the Family of God, or Belonging and Becoming, the Family of God. And it's this idea that, that you and I, we are so much more than people who just sit beside each other on a Sunday morning. Amen. That that God has so much in store for us as his family than just for us to come and to be casually acquainted with people and maybe to go to lunch and maybe to, to sit down in house church, that God has this bigger, more robust picture of what it means for us to be the family of God. And so I, I love that uh, over the next few months, we're going to be talking about how, how each of us, we belong. We belong to each other. We belong to God. How, how each of us, we are becoming this, this beautiful bride of Christ. And we're not there yet, right? Have any of you arrived? Did any of you have all the answers? Any of you walk in here this morning just batting a thousand in your, in your holiness this week? You need to be teaching if so, because you're Jesus. <laughs> no, we come here and, and together we are the family of God. And I'm so excited for us to, to venture into this, how we function, how we can contribute, how we live for something bigger than ourselves. And so today we begin our series by, by looking at God as Father. We're going to talk about our family. We're going to talk about the reason that we're family. It's because of our father. I know that's problematic for many of you. Just even hearing that word father triggers something. You think about your earthly father. You think about abuse. You think about absent. And I'm so sorry that your earthly father was not a reflection of your heavenly father. Your earthly father missed out on an amazing person if he doesn't know you. He messed up big time if he hurts you. My earthly father was not perfect by any means. Uh, Just like none of you who are parents or people in general are perfect. Your parenting won't be perfect. Your parents aren't perfect. But one of the things my dad got right is I consistently saw that my dad prioritized relationship with me. How when I think about my my earthly father, I think about so often I'd come home from school and he would be there waiting for me because he knew knew how badly I wanted to learn how to pitch, to be a, a pitcher in baseball. And I just remember my hour, my dad, for hours, of I'm gonna try to get down and do this, upon hours, he would just squat down with his glove and I'm learning to pitch, and so balls would go everywhere. They'd hit him in the leg, they'd hit him in the knee. I learned how to cuss from watching my dad, right? Like, <laughs> you see, my dad, he, he cared nothing about baseball, but he cared immensely about me. It was never about me becoming this major league pitcher. It was about me and him being together, and he prioritized this relationship. And if you hear nothing else today, I hope that you hear this about your heavenly father, and I might not convince you today in one teaching, but if you'll give your life to walking with this God, you'll understand this is the kind of heavenly father is, the kind of heavenly father he is, that he wants you, and he wants relationship with you more than you can even imagine. He wants you, and he wants relationship with you more than you can even imagine. I want to read our text this morning, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14. Page 787, this is what my brother Paul writes to us. He said, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. You know, there's so much depth in these just few verses, and we're not going to have the time, the ability today to press into every word and to, to pull out all the richness of what God is saying here. And that's not my goal. My goal today is to help us get our mind around what our Heavenly Father has done for us so that we can understand what that means for us. We're going to really be honing in on verse 15 this morning. So I want you to really hear this. I want you to, to tug this away in your heart. It says, the spirit you received, it does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. And so I don't want to assume things about you. I don't know all of you. I don't know your history. Your, um, I don't want to assume things that you know or don't know about God. And so let me just explain this. When, when someone believes in the depths of their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he came to die for their sins, when you believe that, that he, he died and that he rose again three days later, when you believe that he is alive forever, that he is in heaven preparing a place for us, that he is coming back for us, when that person believes in their mind and their heart that Jesus is all these things, when that person says, I want to follow you, Jesus, I want to be identified with you, I want your name in my name, I want to be yours, and they go down into the water of baptism, when that happens, when that faith when that baptism, when that desire to, to know God and to follow Jesus bubbles up in the heart of someone, the scriptures make it abundantly clear that in that moment, God pours out his Holy Spirit on that person, the same spirit that was in Jesus. And so Paul is, is writing this letter to a group of Christians, people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, you've got to understand, Taylor, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. Kate, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. Lori, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves. Luke, the spirit you receive does not make you late. The slaves, the spirit you receive, Brian, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. No, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And I want us to think about this for a few minutes. A couple things here. The Holy Spirit, salvation, Becoming a son, daughter of God. These are things that you and I can never work for. We can never earn. Something that we would never, ever on our best days even deserve. For they are gifts. And you can't earn them. The only way to get them is to receive them. As free gifts from God. And this is the gospel. I mean, this is what, man, when, when you understand this, this is what just brings you to God. Like when this gets a hold of your heart, this is what makes a man or a woman just go, I want nothing more than to live for your glory, God. When you understand what Paul says in Titus chapter three, he says, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. And he has saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. God doesn't save us. Audrey, God hasn't made you his daughter. He hasn't given to you salvation, Crystal. He hasn't given these things to us because we are so good, because we are so deserving. No, he gives us these things because God is so good. When I was in college, so sophomore year, I was going down to Texas for a recruiting trip. I was a um, student ambassador, whatever you want to call it, but I kind of helped recruit for our school. And 
And so I was going down and uh, I was riding on this plane. I sat next to this little girl and her mom and struck up a conversation. And um, I've told this story before at Ethos, but it's just one of those moments that, that God was just showing me something about who he is. So this family had four children who lived in Texas. They decided they wanted to have a fifth, but they didn't want to have a biological child. They wanted to adopt. And so um, they found out about a need in Kazakhstan. As they got on a plane, they fly to Kazakhstan and they walk in this orphanage and they go to the director and they said, we want the kid that no one else wants. Director points over in the corner of the room and there's this little girl. You couldn't tell she was a girl because she's pulled all of her hair out. She's crying and she's screaming and she's naked. And the family says, that's the one I want. Now you think about this. You think about the kind of love that is in someone's heart. You fly across the world and you wouldn't pick the best. You wouldn't pick the kid that had it all together. You picked the one that no one else wanted. Fast forward, I'm sitting on this plane and the little girl sitting beside me. I don't know how old she was when this happened, but she was four or five years old and she had this beautiful dark hair, these dark eyes, dark skin, just so, so precious. She was holding a little precious moments Bible. And she said, you know what this says? I'm like, what does it say? She said, it says that God is good, that God is great. And I remember just, I mean, obviously this happened in 2005, how much that one conversation is clear as day, how it's impacted me. You see, God didn't include you in his family, Jackson, Josh, Margo, Tim, Alex and Kate and Clint. He didn't include you in your family. He didn't include you in his family, Bob and Aaron and Douglas and Nick. Because you were so impressive to him in your righteousness and in your goodness. Now he saved you because you needed him. Because whether we know it or not, we were all the little girls sitting in the corner. See, when God found us, we were all greedy. We were all, we were all idolaters. We were all confused and self-obsessed. We all cared nothing about God. And God walked into the orphanage and said, that's the one that I want. I want Zach. I want Andrew. I want Brandon. I want David. I want Myron. I want Amy. I want Dan. You see, when you understand the love of God, the love that God has for you and what it costs God. If you, when you start to understand what you are worth to God, when you understand that Christ came and he really died for you, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. This is what the book of Hebrews says. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Or I love what Jesus says in, in the gospel of John. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. And when you understand that, that the father didn't twist Jesus' arm to come down and he didn't kick him out of the house. No, when you understand that Christ was compelled because of you and because of me and because he was in line with the father's heart. When you understand the end of Romans chapter 8, that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you understand this. That you're not just a believer and you're not just a follower. That you're a son, you're a daughter of the father in heaven. 
and he gave his best for you. Answer this for me, not out loud. You can, I guess, out loud if you want. But when you interact with God, do you interact with God as your father? You know, I was thinking about my friend Josh, and all of us are like this. I'm just talking about Josh, but the different hats that he wears. He's a metro school teacher. He's engaged to Cali. He's an Indiana Hoosier. No, don't. Don't do that. I'm a Kentucky fan. You can't do that. We're not going to do that. Uh-uh. When, when you think about all the different hats that, that each of us wear, and you think about with our Father in heaven, you think about the multifaceted nature of who our God is, that the scriptures from beginning to end, they reveal a God who is Lord, a God who is Savior, a God who is Judge. And so often we relate to those facets of God. And I'll say this, if you're not relating to God as Father, you're missing out on the beauty of what God wants to have with you, the familiar relationship. Courtney and I, Courtney's my wife, put our kids to bed at night, and before we go in bed, we go and we, we kiss them and we pray over them, we bless them. And I was looking at my, my, my son Jones, my little girl Finley last night, and you know one of the best things about having them? It's just having them in my house. Like having access to them. And I know the day is coming when, when they're going to grow up and they're going to leave. And I know that God's going to prepare me for that day, but I'm not ready yet. <laughs> Relationship. A couple weeks, we're going to be on vacation. I just kept thinking, I can't wait to just be with them. Spend more time with them, to, to hold them, to play with them. And when we grasp the Father like this, that he doesn't just tolerate you, Kate, and he doesn't just put up with you. He didn't just have his arm twisted to save you. He wants you in his house now and forever. And so why does Paul say, you didn't receive the spirit of fear. You're not a slave. Why does he even say that? He's writing to church people. People who are filled with the Spirit, who, who walk with the Spirit. Why does he say that, that you're not, you've not been given the spirit of fear? Because he knows that we all stumble and we all fall. And what happens when we stumble and we fall? We fear. We hide. We run. Because we don't understand that he's Father. The enemy wants to try to convince us that when we sin, it's a deal breaker. We get the boot kicked out of the house. I've learned through parenting our children, the love and grace that I have for my kids. And I love what Jesus says in John chapter 11. This is paraphrase. You think you're a good parent? You have nothing on the heavenly father. You think you know how to give good gifts? Your gifts look like snakes compared to the goodness of what God gives. And if I have this desire in my heart to forgive and to correct and to keep walking with my children, even when they stumble. I can't even begin to imagine how much more so our Heavenly Father does with us. He sent his son to die for us. You talk about an investment. You talk about how much you matter to the Father, how valuable you are to him. So we don't live in fear. We're not slaves. We're not worried about getting fired for not doing our task. We are sons. We are daughters. The Heavenly Father. 
The other piece of this passage I really want us to, to notice this morning is in verse 15, the second part of verse 15, and it says, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for father. Think about this, when maybe you have nieces or nephews, maybe you have children, or maybe you had children, you get down on the floor with them, and you lay down on your stomach, and you, and you look them in the eyes, and you're trying to, to teach them to interact with you, and what do you say? Say, mama. Say, dada. You're not trying to teach them sentences, right? You just want them to know your name. Mama, dada. That's Abba in Aramaic. Father would get down on his, on his knees, on his belly, and he'd look at his kid and say, say, Abba. Say, Father. This is how Jesus prayed. Mark 14. Grown man, 33 years old. Abba. Let's not miss this because it's beautiful. What Jesus is saying, what, what the Father is teaching us in Romans chapter 8 is that you and I, we are to know and we are to interact with God the same way that Jesus did. We are not told in the scriptures. Jesus gets to call him Abba. Jesus gets to call him Dad. But you have to call him Lord that way. And Jesus gets to know him as Father, but, but, but Anna, you've got to know him as King. No, it's, it's Abba for us too. My wife follows many people who are foster parents on Instagram. If you knew her, this would make a lot of sense. And she was showing me this, this one family that she follows and this family that had fostered this little girl for a while and the girl came back to visit the family. And the picture, the caption was of the little girl hugging the man of the house and he had picked her up in his arms and he was bare hugging her and his arms were around her. And the caption said, she still calls him daddy. He wants to be our father. For us to know him as daddy. He's made it abundantly clear. You see, we've been put in this relationship, at least in the gospel, we've been offered this relationship. And the question that I've been asking is, yeah, but, but how, do I, how do I live in it? I don't want to just stay on as, as a baby. I don't want to just know him as Abba. I want to know him. I want to walk with him. I want to be about the things that he's about. I want us as a church to, to, to grow and to mature beyond babies. I want us to, to, to live and thrive in the kingdom of God. So what does it mean? How are we to function as sons and daughters? How do we relate to the Father? You know, honestly, I can't sum it up for you right now, but I will tell you this. We can learn from our big brother, Jesus. And you want to know how to be a son. You want to know how to be a daughter. Read the Gospels. Obsess over Jesus. Pattern your life after the things that he did. This is not a comprehensive list, obviously, but I did want to give you a few handles to think about. Things that we saw in Jesus, the way that he related to the Father. This idea of communion, this idea of commitment, that what it meant to be a son to the father, this idea of communion and this idea of commitment. Communion, you know, I'm not talking about the Lord's Supper. I'm not talking about bread and wine. I'm talking about intimacy. I'm talking about fellowship. I'm talking about prayer. You read through the gospels and it is so clear that the father was crazy about Jesus and Jesus was crazy about the father. I mean, at Jesus' baptism, he goes down into the water and he comes up and it says, the heavens are torn open and God the Father speaks, you are my son whom I love with you, I'm well pleased. I don't know about you, but that did not happen at my baptism. 
Think about how often Jesus would slip away to just be with the Father. You see it in Mark 1, you see it in Mark 6, you see it in Luke 6. Prayer, intimacy, communion. And one of the things that I've been just really feeling is that prayer is this place that God is inviting our church to step in deeper with him. We started our year like this, 30 days of prayer, and fasting that, that God doesn't just want a, a, a few minutes of our day. He wants all of us. He wants relationship and prayer is that place that it happens. If you don't know how to pray, Matthew chapter six, verses nine through 13, Jesus teaches us how to pray. If you don't know how to pray, here in a few minutes when we stand up, there are going to be some men and women at the respond band. And if you don't know how to pray, let them pray over you. Listen to, the, listen to how they pray. Start imitating their prayers. The question that I've been asking is, what did Jesus have with the Father that would literally cause him to give up sleep? I've never one time stayed up all night just praying. Maybe you have. What would cause Jesus to get up early? What would cause Jesus to leave his friends who were hanging out to go and pray? What did Jesus have with the Father in prayer? Communion. He had communion. This is one thing we learn about what it means to be a son, to be a daughter of the Father in heaven. The other piece of this is commitment. Like I said, this is not a comprehensive list. These are just a few handles. That one of the things that is undeniable in the Gospels is that Jesus had this commitment to living out the Father's will. That his whole life was about um, elevating the Father and, and yielding his life and obeying. John chapter five, Jesus says this in verse 17, my Father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working John chapter six, verse 38, he says, I've come down not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus showed us what it meant to be about something bigger than himself. How to live for the Father. How to be committed to his will. My son Jones, and Finley's like this too, my oldest. Especially Jones right now. He wants to do whatever I'm doing and he wants to help. The other day I carried this big tub of clothes in and bring it into our house. My wife's working on the consignment sale. And, and he sees me, he says, do you have more in the car, dad? He didn't say it that clearly because he's three, but I said, yeah, I do. And he says, I want to help. And so we, we go to my car and I'm carrying this big uh, tub of clothes in and he's, and he's helping. And, and the whole way in the house, he's going, I'm helping dad, I'm helping dad. And I'm like, kind of, you're actually hurting. Like you're doing a pull up on it. You're pulling it down, making it heavier, but, but, but I'll take you wanting to help any day. You see, he has this understanding that when his dad's doing something, he wants to be right there. And he doesn't just want to watch. In fact, he gets frustrated when, when he can't help, when he has to watch. And I can't answer this for you, but, but you can. Do you have a desire in your heart to join God at his work in our world? Do you want to be about the things that the Father is about? The lost, the hungry, the poor, 
upholding justice and righteousness and peace? Are we committed to the Father's will? Do we read this? Do we, do we get on our knees in prayer and go, God, whatever it takes, just let my life be yours? Or do we hold on to our lives? Are we elevating our will? You see, we learn from Jesus what it looks like to be committed to the Father's will. And I don't know what that looks like for you. But I know that God is always at his work. And that God has given us gifts and passions and talents. And if we will wake up and we'll say, God, today let me burn brightly, not so that people know me, but so that people know you. God, if there are needs, if there are people if there's confession that I need to make, whatever it takes, God, I want my life to be all about you. You know, we don't become like this overnight. Most of us anyway. We're not gonna develop communion like Jesus had with the Father, even this week. I'm telling you, if you stayed up all night, every night this week, you're still not gonna have it. Sorry. And you're not gonna develop this commitment to the Father's will to elevating his name over your own. You're not gonna develop this overnight. Like every relationship, it takes time. The more you see, the more you taste the Lord's goodness. The more you understand his forgiveness, his kindness, his provision. The more you see God carrying the metaphorical tubs of clothes in and you say, I wanna help. the more the kingdom of heaven comes down and you get to be a part of it. You start to develop these metaphorical taste buds that nothing else can satisfy. That you long for communion. You long for this commitment. So how do we do this? I love how Paul writes in verse 14. He says, those who are led by the spirit of God, they are the children of God. Those who are led by the Spirit of God. Being led implies that you don't always know and have the answers. You don't have everything figured out. You don't have it all mapped out. Being led means that you are, are listening and watching and paying attention and yielding. And as we church, as we learn to be led by the Holy Spirit, not just as individuals, but as a family, as we take in the conviction when we sin and, and, and we quickly turn and we quickly confess, we, we, we learn to listen to the Holy Spirit to, 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 to get away and to pray. We learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and his prompts to, to notice a person or to ask a question or to share something that we have. Be led by the Spirit of God. Here in just a minute, we're gonna take communion. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to get a piece of bread and to get a cup of juice and to come back to your seat and to pray with the people around you. And I invite you to, to ask this question. 
Are you, are you really living for the Father's will? And if you're not, just pray for each other. Share that with each other. Let people in on your life and ask God to help you. If you are living for his will, if, if you get up in the morning and, and your life is about him, then ask God to keep putting fuel in that fire. As we share, as we let people in, we're proving that this is not just an individual pursuit, that, that we are a family. And we care about people. And so often the thing that unleashes us to take a next step with God is when we take our eyes off of ourselves and we put it on someone else. So this morning as we take communion, I invite you to ask that question. Are you really living for his will? And then pray for each other. Encourage each other. Listen for each other. So into this relationship this morning with your father. If you come here today and, and you don't know God as father, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I invite you to step into this relationship today. I love what he says in Revelation chapter three. He says, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If you'll just open the door, I'll come in. And if you're looking for God, he's been looking for you. That your father wants you in his house. And I invite you, if you want to give your life to Jesus, you don't have to know it all. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all figured out. But if you want Christ, if you want to know God as father, give your life to him. Come tonight and get baptized. We'll celebrate with you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite us to stand in just a minute and um, there are going to be some men and women at the Respond Banner. If you need somebody just to pray over you, we have people here that love to pray, who believe in prayer. Go to the back. Let them pray. For the rest of us, let's come back to our seat. Let's share. Let's pray. Does that sound good? Okay. Let me pray for us and I'll send us to communion. God, thank you so much. For who you are. Would you reveal yourself this morning? Cut away the things that we've been holding on that are not true about you. Give us a crystal clear image of who you are. How much you love us. I can't do that, God. Only you can. And so I invite you, Lord Jesus. I invite you, Father. I invite you, Holy Spirit. Would you just minister to us? As we open up, would you come in? In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.